God. All right, uh, our second reading this morning is going to be <clears throat> the beginning and the end of Joshua 21. If you think I'm skipping over essential parts, go home and read the middle part, okay? Uh, it's a list of cities. But here's verse 1 through 3 and then verse 41 through 45. Then the heads of the father's houses of the Levites came to Eleazar, the priest, and to Joshua, the son of Nun, and to the heads of the father's houses and the tribes of the people of Israel. And they said to them at Shiloh in the land of Canaan, the Lord commanded through Moses that we be given cities to dwell in along with their pasture lands for our livestock. So by command, the Lord uh, so by command of the Lord, the people of Israel gave to the Levites the following cities and pasture lands out of their inheritance. And then the list ensues. And then we jump down to verse 41. The cities of the Levites in the midst of the possession of the people of Israel were in all 48 cities with their pasture lands. These cities had its pasture lands around it. So it was with all these cities. Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers. And they took possession of it and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of them, not one of all their enemies had withstood them. For the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Almighty God, you are a God of your word. And we pray this morning that you would speak your word to us. And we pray as well that you would... Give us, by the power of your Holy Spirit, the faith to receive that word and to act on it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. According to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. That was part of our first reading this morning. My question for you is, are you waiting for a new heaven and a new earth? Is that in fact your, your hope and your aspiration? Because it is what Jesus has promised. Jesus promised that he would return and that in the end this earth and this sky, which is what the word heaven here means, this earth and this sky is going to be replaced by a new earth and a new sky. And then coming out of the heaven, the otherworldly, supernatural domain where the throne of God is and the angels are and all of the departed saints and coming out of the heaven would be New Jerusalem, a beautiful city bedecked like a bride for her bridegroom. The beautiful city would come out of the heaven and would settle on the new earth. And there in New Jerusalem... Sitting on the new earth, God would be present and all of the saints would gather to live eternally. That's the promise. Is that what you're waiting for? I hope so. Because that's the promise that Jesus made to his followers. And if you ask what it means to be saved, 
If you ask what it means to be redeemed by the blood of Christ, it means that you become a citizen of New Jerusalem for eternity. Now I worry that some of our eyes might not see as far as New Jerusalem. I worry that some of our eyes might not be able to get beyond this world and its sky. It is true that God's salvation makes a difference in this world. I believe with all of my heart that the Christian life is the pleasantest life that you could possibly live. I believe that when we follow God's law, our lives are richer, more blessed, more interesting, more complex, more meaningful, more connected. They're just better. I believe this with all of my heart because this is the promise that was given to us even back at Mount Sinai. Here's what we read uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 28. If you obey fully the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands, the Lord will establish you as his holy people. The Lord will open the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty, to send rain on your land in season and to bless all the works of your hand. He will, you will lend to many nations, but borrow from none. May that be our prayer in the United States of America. The Lord will make you the head and not the tail. If you pay attention to the commands of the Lord your God and carefully follow them, you will always be at the top and never at the bottom. That's not the word of Dan, that's the word of God. Those are the promises about blessing and security and prosperity in this life, in this world. As Christians, we should expect our lives in the here and now to be good. If we follow God's law, things really do turn out better for us. The Christian life really is the best possible life. But God's promises don't end at the edge of this world. God's promises are not limited to this physical domain, the realm of money and food and cars and jobs. God's promises are much larger. God's promises embrace the deep parts of our being, those parts of our spirit and our soul which are simply deeper than the physical realm. They also embrace the endless expanse of eternity. According to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Are you waiting for a new heaven and a new earth? Forty-five years after they heard from God at Mount Sinai, the children of Israel are finally established in the land. It had been known as, as Canaan land. And then it was later known as the promised land. And from now on, it will be known as Eretz Israel, the land of Israel. And now all the land has been distributed among the tribes. The cities of refuge have been set apart as a component of a compassionate system of justice. And finally, the tribe of Levi, the tribe of priests, has given its own cities to live in. Levi doesn't own a full territory like the other tribes, but they do get places to live scattered throughout the nation. The work of settling the land is done. 
And it all began with God's promise to Abraham a long time ago. And in verse 45 of chapter 21, we read not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. Wow. A hundred percent? It's an amazing track record. But here's the crazy thing. The best of the promises are still to come. God, in fact, made bigger promises than he made regarding the land of Israel. According to his promise, we are waiting for a new heaven, a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Are we waiting for this new heaven and this new earth? It's coming. As surely as the day follows the night, it's coming. And if you're in Christ, then there is a house in New Jerusalem that already has your name on it. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. It's an ironclad promise. Often when I'm doing my preparation for my sermons, I'll do a word study of some of the key terms in the scripture passage that we're looking at. And so naturally, I began to dig into this word promise, which is so important in our reading from Joshua. And I was surprised to see that there isn't a special word for promise in this passage at all. In fact, the Hebrew word that's translated as promise in this passage, well, actually throughout all of the Old Testament, it's simply the word for word. It's the word for word. Dabar. So let me give you my totally literal translation of Joshua 21.45. This is the DPM version. Of the good word, the Lord spoke to Israel, not one word failed. I think if we can wrap our mind around this one truth, it will revolutionize our faith life. If God says it, God has also promised it. And everything that God says and promises comes to pass. Not one word fails. To appreciate the importance of this, let's talk about human promises for a minute. If my wife says to me, we need to clean out the basement. And I say, I'll get around to it this weekend. She might say, do you promise? When I was in a kid, when I was a kid in the schoolyard, we would say, cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. I don't know if you're allowed to say this anymore in school. For us, it's one thing to say something and it's another thing to promise something. But with God, everything he says is a promise. We call this book, the word of God, We might as well call it the promise of God. Now, from the human point of view, there are three things. Three things that separate saying something from promising something. And those three things are truth, knowledge, and power. Truth, knowledge, power. 
If I say to my wife, I'll get around to it this weekend, and she asks, do you promise? What she's really saying is, are you telling the truth? Or are you just saying that so you can go back to your book? If I say, I promise, I say, yes, I'm really telling the truth. I'll do what I say. Now, we ask these kinds of questions because people don't always tell the truth. Some of us are better than others about telling the truth. Some of us have a pretty bad batting average when it comes to telling the truth. But everything God says, every time he says it, is 100% true. God never fudges the truth. Every word he says is a promise. The second thing that separates promising from saying from promising is knowledge. I might say that I'm going to clean out the basement and then discover that, in fact, I've booked myself to go fishing with the elders down in Cape May all weekend. It slipped my mind. Sorry, honey, you'll have to clean the basement yourself. My lack of knowledge about my schedule makes the things that I say sometimes less than a promise. But God knows all things. God knows the future. And so everything that God says every time he says it is 100% true. God is never surprised by the circumstances that might arise. Every word he says is a promise to us. And finally, the third thing that separates saying from promising is power. I might say that I'm going to clean out the basement and then fall down the stairs and blow out my knee and be unable to work. Or I might go to the bank and discover my account is overdrawn and I don't have the money I need to rent the bulldozer that's required to clean my basement. Sometimes we say we're going to do things, but we can't because we don't have the power. But God is all-powerful. He can do anything. And so everything God says, every time he says it, is 100% true. God never lacks the power needed, and every word he says is a promise. This should be a reassurance to us, especially in light of the tremendous promises that he's made to never leave us or forsake us, to provide for our every need, to make a way through the wilderness for us, to prepare a home for us. Of the good word the Lord spoke to Israel, not one word failed. Because every word of God is a promise of God. The human need to reinforce or bolster what we say with an oath or with a promise or with a vow points to the fact that we are not always people of our word. It points to the fact that we don't always tell the truth. And so when we really are telling the truth, we feel the need to underline the fact by saying something like, cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. The third commandment in the King James Version of the Bible reads this way, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. To take the name of the Lord means to swear an oath by the name of God. We do this When we say things like, I'm going to start tithing next week, I swear to God. With God as my witness, I was not at the Tin Pan Alley Tavern last night. To take the name of the Lord in vain 
means to swear an oath when you're not really telling the truth. In other words, don't use an oath unless you really are telling the truth. That's what the third commandment is saying. Now, the third commandment is related to the ninth commandment. In the King James Version, it reads this way, Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor, which means don't lie about someone else to cause them harm, particularly in a court of law. Two of ten commandments are about speaking the truth. And those commandments are there because we so often don't speak the truth. Which is why people are always having to ask us to make a promise. Because it seems like our simple word doesn't carry much weight. But notice what it is that Jesus says about this. This is in the Sermon on the Mount. Again, you've heard it said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath on your head, for you cannot make one hair black or white. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. What if everything we said were simply true and we never needed to emphasize the truth of our words by saying, I promise or I swear? Well, if we spoke that way, we would speak more the way God speaks. What separates saying from promising is three things, truth, knowledge, and power. We're never going to have the knowledge or the power that God has, but I believe that all of us, from the simplest child to the most mature adult, can speak truly as God speaks. We can mean what we say every time we say it. It's possible. And I think it should be our goal as Christians. Now, I want to close this sermon in an unusual way this morning. I want to just read for you some of the promises that God has made to us in Scripture. And I want us to just listen to them and meditate on them and take delight in them for a little while. So, hear the Word of God. The Lord is good and His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. The Lord gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep you away. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. 
The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after those things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And these things will be given to you as well. God is able to bless you abundantly. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Lions may grow weary and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also, along with the son, graciously give us all things? Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Take delight in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. The Lord hears the cry of the needy. He will not despise their plea. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but will have eternal life. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. 
If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He made to us, eternal life. According to His promise, we are waiting for the new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And then the final promise of Scripture, a promise from the lips of the resurrected Jesus, surely I am coming quickly. Come, Lord Jesus, let us pray. Lord Jesus, your love for us is almost too much to bear, too much to believe. Your care for us and your provision for us, your promise for us for the future, the way that you've made for us, the protection that you surround us with, the price that you paid to rescue us. We thank you and we worship you for these gifts. And we thank you for the sure hope that we have in you. A hope that does not disappoint. Give us the patience, Lord, to wait for what it is that's coming to us. Give us the peace that passes understanding. So that as we wait in hope, we may have joy in this life. May our lives be crazy with joy. All honor and glory to you, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen.